0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you guys had a good weekend. Uh, Us here in California, we're struggling a little bit. (laughs) I don't know if you've been watching the news, but um, it kind of feels like the world's falling apart around us. Uh, We're going to talk about a little bit. Uh, Question of the Night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page, so weigh in on that. And uh, DMs, always open. Slide on in there. Drop us your question got a great show plan for you we're going to be talking about gender reveal parties not giving up when times are tough and also oscar diversity yep some new rules have been rolled out for the oscars and not everyone's happy about them but again let's get to some news uh here in california i hope you all are doing better in your own home states we've got a lot of everything going on you know we're still still trying to defend the value of black lives we're still trying to take down trump who um Yep, been quite toxic for everyone's mental and social health, but in addition to COVID and everything else kind of swirling around chaotically, we also now are battling two gigantic fires. I have friends on the east side that have been evacuated and friends on the <clears throat> excuse me northern up towards San Francisco uh, getting evacuated, so... California, man. We're doing our thing. Uh, But uh, for those that uh, aren't aware, stay inside. Why? Well, the air quality is quite low. And for those that are high risk with any kind of respiratory issues, asthma, et cetera, et cetera, stay inside. If you got air conditioning, turn that bad boy on. But um, yeah, limit your exposure to the outdoors. It's quite dark and hazy. The other day I went outside and I thought, oh man, it looks like a storm's coming. Nope that is smoke and smog from the fires. Some people are also posting these really beautiful pictures of red skies. Beautiful until you find out what that really is about. People are losing their homes. People are losing their lives. It's really scary. It's quite a year. I know. We're going out out with a bang. Everyone jokingly says, what else can happen? Well, there was an earthquake in Jersey last week. (laughs) That's an area that isn't known to get hit with earthquakes. So, you know, we're getting a little bit of a shake up and a wake up, so I hope you're all taking care of yourselves, you know, telling those around you that you love, that you love them, so we all know. I know, it's funky, funky, funky times. It's also National Suicide Awareness Month, so we're going to always be talking about that throughout this week. And even when I'm not talking directly about suicide or suicide prevention, please know that everything I'm talking about does tie into that because these things do not happen in a vacuum. They happen within the context of our lives, you know, the different identities we hold, right? Um, Our body shape, how our brain functions, our race, our gender, all those pieces are part of our mental health, how the world treats us based on that. And that's part of it. Also access to getting our needs met in the ways we need them met. And we'll talk about all of this later in the show. But again, I'm always talking about how to build better relational health and mental health. And that is part of suicide prevention, right? Creating the kind of world we all want to be in, making everyone feel valued, giving people access to the things they need to take care of themselves. All the things tie up into a beautiful bow called suicide prevention and mental health. So we'll be talking about that throughout the week. So that's kind of a little bit of a content warning for those that are triggered or made uncomfortable or unprepared to kind of have those feelings flood them. So there's your content and trigger warning. We're going to be talking about suicide in our next segment and throughout this week. Oh, I'm seeing a lot of posts about it from different mental health organizations and celebrities. And I love that because it gets us more familiar with the topic, talking about it, resources and things like that. So that's what's going on in that world. But looking at some news, TSA reports it's business travel day since March. Sit with that for a second. I mean, it's not, you know. It's an improvement, so we're happy, but that, you know, not such, a, not such a big statement. Airports were busy this holiday weekend, the one that just passed. According to the Transportation Security Administration, and what was that? We just got through Labor Day a week ago. TSA says it screened about 1 million people on Friday, a record high since the pandemic. In 2019, remember, that was, what did they say, 1 million? In 2019, the TSA screened more than 2 million on the Friday of Labor Day weekend. So it's half, a million less That's a lot less, you know what I mean? Like when you say half. Uh, But again, that's because people are staying safe. You know, look, I'm gonna apply a little healthy shame. Shame on some of those people that traveled because y'all weren't needing to go anywhere most likely. If you had to go somewhere because of your job, shame on your job. But outside of that, uh, yeah, it's still a pandemic. So I have to give you again that lovely hand-holding reminder that it's not safe to travel or go outside. And your decisions impact everyone, including me. I would love my life back. So if you're not willing to wear a mask and stay home for others, do it for Dr. Chris because he wants his life back. He's following the rules and he's ready to get back to his office, uh, see his loved ones. (laughs) Oh, bless it. You know, you try not to personalize things, but the pandemic is quite personal for everyone. So anyway, I'm glad that uh, those that work in the airline industry and all the various facets and ways that that can happen are getting you know, their work and their lives back because, oh man, we're delaying bills and et to the end of the year, but I'm not sure what's going to happen in 2021. I'm hoping that it's a resolve, but remember the calendar is not, You know, the calendar is a man-made social construction in that January 1 is not inherently a new year for the universe, right? That's calendar-driven, so that doesn't necessarily promise shift or change. All right, I'm rambling. When we come back, we're going to talk about suicide prevention because, again, it's Suicide Prevention Month. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG, so check it out in the stories. And if you got a DM, drop it in those DMs. We got it for you. All right, y'all. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And um, we are talking about suicide prevention because it is Suicide Awareness Month. Oh, boy. So listen, it's a difficult topic. And you know, the difficulty of discussing this topic shows us where the work has to begin. It, it shouldn't be something difficult to talk about. It has a lot of emotionality and feelings tied to it. That is how it should be that part. But it should be something that we're very comfortable and familiar talking about. Us, not engaging something doesn't mean that it goes away. And that is something that some people are conscious of, but do it anyway, and others aren't conscious of that. And so it's something I'm always reminding people, even when we talk about things like safer sex practices, you know, it's not giving someone permission to do something, it's arming them with the language to talk about it, uh, the ability to set boundaries, ask for their needs, normalize these struggles. Because what, what happens is, if we culturally avoid discussing death, suicide, addiction, depression. Again, those rates don't drop. People instead struggle silently. And when we struggle silently with something, what happens? That means people can't help us and support us, we can't necessarily access resources, and it can amplify the issue. Because now, on top of whatever the original issue is, we're adding some shame, we're adding isolation, And no mental health struggle is worthy of shame or isolation. No mental health struggle makes us a bad, broken, or weak person. And that's part of it. And the broader term is what we call respectability politics. And what that means is we have ideas of how you need to be, live, talk, walk for us to take you seriously as being competent or adult or professional. And none of those are rooted in authenticity and truth. Think about it. In order to be a good parent, to be a good leader, to be a good doctor or lawyer, you are expected to always have it together, but we don't. That is not reasonable. But everyone wants to be perceived as competent and solid and anchored and successful and productive. And so that doesn't leave room for us to talk about our darker sides, our weaknesses, our struggles. We have to because again, avoiding it doesn't make it better. And there shouldn't be any shame in saying, I'm struggling with an addiction. There shouldn't be any shame in saying, I'm depressed. There shouldn't be any shame in saying, I've been thinking about death by suicide. Right? And again, just so you all know the languaging, we don't, no longer do we say committed suicide because it has a very shaming pathologizing connotation to it as though this person As though this person, it shames that individual versus saying death by suicide, which backs us off of that and kind of makes us have a more macro perspective and understanding maybe what this person was going through. Because if you look at the history of suicidality, it was criminalized and it was illegal to try to kill yourself. And again, I gave you the trigger warning in our last segment. I'll give you one again now that this is going to be a difficult conversation for some people to hear based on their relationship to these topics, but it was criminalized. And that meant that people couldn't necessarily safely or confidently access resources because they were accessing them to talk about a criminal act. And someone struggling with a mental health issue isn't a criminal. They're struggling with their psychology, their emotionality, the world that's been created that they have to try to exist within, and there's nothing, there's nothing in that that needs to be punished or or worthy of shame, you know. Suicide prevention, as we'll talk about in a minute, is about the kind of world that we all participate in that creates difficulties for certain individuals or makes life not worth living, feeling as though, at times, right. So we shift our languaging to try to make it more empowered. And I know some people are probably saying, oh, death by suicide, hmm, that doesn't necessarily feel empowering. Well, it's not supposed to. It's not supposed to feel as though it's a positive, sunshiny thing, right? There's a lot of depth and darkness to a lot of mental health struggles. But I want us to be able to confidently and securely go into that darkness. That's what I do as a therapist with some of my clients, is I'm a guide because, One of the most beautiful things uh, among many that have come out of a lot of Eastern philosophy is this whole idea that the only way out is by going through. And that's also rooted in a lot of Jungian psychology. And Jung is one of the most brilliant people. I'm a big fan. I'm very sad that universities no longer teach Jungian therapy or psychology. It's quite stunning, even though a lot of the words that came out of Jungian therapy are part of our general vocabulary um, conversation for another day but we got to go through. That's how we get over something. That's how we resolve something is we go into it, we go through it. Not by ignoring it, not by, you know, thinking on the bright side, not by pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps, not by going to work anyway and pushing through. That's actually amplifying and making the issues worse. And I'm always saying I want to create a world where we can take care of ourselves when we're struggling with our mental health. We can use that as an appropriate way to not have to go to a party or to miss out on someone's event. I'm, I Congratulations on your wedding. I know that is the biggest day for you and your relationship. However, it's happening on a weekend or during a month where I'm having a lot of mental health struggles. Unfortunately, I can't attend. And I'd want the recipients, the wedding couple to say, of course we understand that. Your mental health matters and it means more than our ceremony. Or I want us to be able to call work and say, I'm really anxious and depressed today. I need to stay home. And your boss or HR says, of course, because mental health matters. Your leg doesn't need to be hanging off for you to be able to stay home to take care of yourself. But I see that all the time because mental health is very much an invisible illness. It's an invisible impairment. It's an invisible struggle. And so, we live in a culture where we're very materialistic and objectifying. And if we can't see it, touch it, or weigh it, or, or um, measure it, then we don't necessarily believe its presence. But yet we do. Because if I said, hey, do you think love's a real thing? We'd all be like, well, yeah. And I would say, well, you can't weigh that, measure that, quantify that, touch that, or see that. But yet we believe that. And there's a lot of things we believe. We believe in the concept of joy, right? So we do believe in emotional experiences and psychology, but we really struggle to honor them. So we got to get better about that. And that's kind of what my work here on this planet's about. So y'all help me out with that. All right. When we come back, we're going to again, continue this conversation around suicidality, it's world, uh, suicide prevention, it's international. I mean, there's so many different versions, but it's all this month, suicide prevention month. So that's what we're talking about. Coming up next, more of that, you to Love to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. And because it is National Suicide Prevention Month, we are talking about what that means, how we can help others, how we can help ourselves, how we can help kind of change the conversation around mental health struggles. We were talking last segment about how it's very invisible. It's often something that you can't see, touch, or feel, and it's hard in our culture because we're materialists. We need, we need to be able to hold it to believe it, that not everyone is able to get their mental health struggles taken seriously, which means they don't get the support they need. And that, again, makes the issue more complicated and worse. Imagine struggling with something, and then there's really no one you can talk to about it, or people aren't taking it seriously, or people tell you to get over it. And that's the thing. Not everyone has experience encountering all these various mental health struggles. And so to them, they think it's just something you should push through or get you know, toughen up around and it just doesn't work that way. And that's why I use the physical ailment examples and metaphors. If someone broke their leg, would you be like, oh man, I'm sorry to hear that, but you know what? I'm going to ask you to still come and work, lift these heavy things. I'm going to ask you to still go pick up the kids. No, we would be like, okay, I see the literal impairment. I see, I see the literal injury. And so I'm forced to honor that. But mental health doesn't get the same reverence or sanctity, and we we need to afford that to those around us. And the way we do that is initially by just starting to talk about mental health. And that's why I say over and over, I want people to say not just like, hey, how are you, if it's someone you care about, but say directly, how's your mental health? Because it's not something people are familiar hearing or being asked about, and so it penetrates. It, It really shifts the the question, and people will have, they'll, they'll hear that you're asking for a little bit more truth and a little bit more presence. And so something I do in my clinical practice and when I do the live stream show, I'm listening live, which um, radio.com, that's Thursday nights, and it's profound. So, you know, again, step one in suicide prevention is just kind of starting to change the way we relate to and engage mental health. We have to get better about it. We have to get more secure about it. And we have to not shame people. I remember when I was an adolescent, uh, growing up on the East Coast, and uh, I grew up in a very normative environment. It was very homogenous. It was not a lot of diversity. We we did not. I mean, my 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 schools and the neighborhoods pretty whitewashed. It was white cis hetero on steroids, you know. And I remember therapy and mental health came up when I was you know an adolescent in grade school. And yeah, what I was kind of told is, oh, therapy is for people that are you know struggling or broken and you 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 drop your voice and you talk quietly if someone's in therapy. And it wasn't until I started getting trained and more powerfully came out to the West Coast and everyone's like, yeah, you know, I saw my therapist yesterday and this is what they were saying. And I was like, whoa, here to be in therapy in California, it's very empowered. People are very vulnerable and we'll talk about it because it's normalized. They'll talk about what they're eating they'll talk about their new breath work they'll talk about an album they like and they'll talk about their therapy what their therapist said and what they're working on it was really stunning some of that i give credit to the 12-step program out in california because that's very similar on the east coast the 12-step programs also uh, you know, kind of operate a little bit more in the shadows and people don't openly talk about being sober and recovery on the West coast in California. It is a huge community. People celebrate it. They build amazing social networks through it. And so they're very open about I'm sober. I'm in recovery. Here's how much time I have. And I think that that has led to the normalization of people talking about other threads of mental health, because within that gigantic community out here, that's discussed openly too. And I think it's had a really beneficial impact. And I want that for everyone where people can say, I have an anxiety disorder, I have depression, and it's accommodated. Listen. So I say this very 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 humbling and this is as an example there's at times where I am centered as a you know public figure or a celebrity within the context of a book I wrote or a television project I'm a part of And I will travel for an event. And so I've gotten to engage people from different communities, different cultures, different countries, different states. And I've had to ask for certain needs because of my mental health struggles. Because yes, you can be a therapist and have mental health struggles because you're a human being and we all have them. And it was really interesting to see how ableist people are. Now, ableism is an important concept that folds into this. And ableism is when we center and prioritize people that essentially don't have any kind of disability, mental, physical, neurodiversity. And we just assume that everyone can access the same things. We assume that everyone has the same abilities. We don't consider the fact that some people might be disabled by the way the venue is set up or the way they have to access the information. Meaning we assume everyone is visual, a visual learner, uh, the ability to have uh, vision that's required to see what's on the screen, and we don't have handouts, or we assume everyone's able-bodied in terms of having the use of their legs, so there's no ramps or elevators, and these are all ableist assumptions. It's like, well, no, there are some people that are going to be disabled by that or don't have access to leg use or visual You know, to see what's on the board. And I would talk about some of my anxiety because I tend to have more of the anxiety based disorders where I have a lot of travel anxiety, social anxiety. And when I'd ask for those to be accommodated, they would look at me. And be like, "Oh wow, this mental health professional has anxiety disorders." And and it was like, "Yes, and I'm sure there's a lot of other people that are coming to see me lecture or speak that also need these things." And so, we need to do this, we need to do that. And so, uh, you know, again, I'm on the lower lower end of the spectrum and I've seen the responses I've got, and they weren't always very supportive. It was more like, "What's wrong with you?" or "Or just suck it up or just do better." And it's like, "I'm sorry, you are illegitimizing my mental health. <laughs> I can only imagine what you do to others." All right. Uh, coming up next DMS. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about how we start to do some suicide prevention. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back now. It's time to slide into those DMS sliding into the DMS sliding into the DMS is brought to you by our friends at Trojan condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore it for confidence. Uh, so DMS, Come from our Loveline IG page, slide on in there, drop your question in there. I know you guys put them on my private page, the at Dr. Donahue IG, but um, I'm not always able to slide in there. There's a lot of mess. in there god bless so if you drop your questions in the loveline ig page and follow us you'll get your questions answered and i I always value you guys reaching out so please continue to do so whatever question or issue you're struggling with is of worth and value and it is meaningful to me and to the entire loveline team so we want to be here for you and also it's very likely that whatever you're struggling with or confused about someone else is as well and so bringing it forward helps a multitude of people you know? All right. This one says, "Oops, it's a long one. So bear with me question. Hey, Dr. Chris, first off, I appreciate the work you do. And I listen to you daily. Thank you. It means a lot. It really does. Uh, you've helped to educate me and I'm starting to use some of your advice in my own long distance relationship with my boyfriend, which I've shared. I'm in a long distance relationship with someone who lives in Canada, which is why I am frustrated with the Corona deniers because I want to see my baby. Okay. Here's a question. Um, I'm the type that likes to commit and get serious quickly. I do as well. We are very similar. I've noticed that my two serious relationships weren't the same speed as me. The relationship I'm currently in is long distance only by a couple hours, Ah, lucky. But I'm moving to his city, cool, both for him and the best interest of my career. Awesome, love it. I'm wondering how I can slow my pace down and feel good about it. I know I move too fast and it causes me to jump into things that I might not even really be ready for deep down. I'm wondering if this has something to do with my self-esteem. Are there any good books or anything like that you recommend that could help me truly be an independent woman and enjoy my relationships instead of trying to progress them to a place I sadly feel pressured to reach? Bam. It's very thoughtful, full of self-awareness. And I think there's, there's a lot in there. I could do a whole show on this question because, oh, okay. So I'm going to start really broad and then I'm going to narrow it down. So this is gonna be relevant to you and a little not relevant. So there is no right pace at which to try to move into a relationship. I wanna start by saying it like that. Some people like a lot of closeness and intimacy, others don't. So there's also this piece about how much closeness we like when we're getting to know someone and also once we've really built more of a substantial relationship. I, like yourself, I'm, I'm very confident and I'm very decisive And so I'm I'm very comfortable moving towards something I have interest in. And I put a lot of time, effort, and energy and focus into whatever's going on in my life that's meaningful to me, you know? And much like yourself, I operate from a very high speed. I skew higher energy and I move faster. Nothing better wrong with that. But you did beautifully and lovingly call out that that can sometimes mean that we miss out on some nuances that maybe we would have seen if we had moved slower, Uh, For those that move slow, yeah, you guys get to see some of those nuances and see things coming, but sometimes you're also perceived as not interested, Uh, there could be a flatness to that, and um, sometimes that could also be rooted in some avoidance of intimacy or commitment or lower self-esteem. So neither angle is better, it's just there's difference. And if we're talking true compatibility, people that move faster are better sometimes with people that move faster. Sometimes it's better for them to be someone who moves slower and that person pumps the brakes. But I don't want you to... Prioritize one way over the other. Your partner moving slower isn't better, and you moving faster isn't worse. And so it's not always about aligning with how they move. Maybe your slower partner needs to speed it up and meet you where you're at, right? You can go either direction. But we live in a culture where we're obsessed with slowness. And so people always assume, oh, well, I'm slower, so you should slow down. Well, no, sometimes you need to speed up. Okay. Having said that, you said that your two relationships that were serious prior did move the same speed of you. Okay, you made it work. The long distance, I'm assuming inherently, has forced you to kind of slow down. So that's been good. Um, How do you slow your pace down and feel good about it? The work is about doing a little cognitive restructuring. Start to really process and pay attention to what maybe you are missing out on when you're moving too fast. Look at your long distance relationship and think about all the things that were forced to slow you down, but the benefits and beauty of what came out of that slowness. Um, So I want you to honor who you are and not have shame around the speed you operate. But I want you to also recognize that there might be something to learn from slowing yourself down. Um, As far as books, I, I don't think you need to read a book because a lot of those books are going to just kind of get you trapped in maybe shaming your speed or over-prioritizing slowness. And so I don't think the work work is about that. And I don't think it's low self-esteem to necessarily want to move fast. I think it's that that is your natural pace. I'm gonna assume that you move quickly through a lot of different elements and things in your life. And so maybe choose some domain in your life and start working on moving slower in that area. Whenever I'm trying to change a characteristic I have or an attribute, I look for one of the more easier entry points and I start doing it that way. You know, maybe I'm rushing friendships or I'm rushing my work or whatever it is. And I go that way and then I start to tackle the things that are more difficult. But I really just want to close it out by saying it's okay that you move fast and inherently by you dating someone who's slower, you know, whoever's lower interest or moves slower will inherently be a little bit of a break in pushing back. So I'm not really that worried about you. I think you're gonna be okay. I really wanna work instead on shoring up that it's okay that you move the speed you move. And it's an act of self-esteem to honor who we are while recognizing that maybe there's some growth if we're interested in changing a little bit. So follow the pace of your partner. Don't overthink this. And, and be really content in what you have. I don't really see a lot of issue in your question. So I hope I helped a little bit. But in, you know, more importantly, I want us to get more confident and comfortable with how it is we operate. Because there's so much shame in our culture. All right. Coming up next, uh, more talk about suicide prevention. Because it's National Suicide Prevention Month. And uh, Question of the Night will be coming up soon. So time for that. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, I didn't bring something up. Oh man, those that do not live in California are probably not necessarily aware of this because I was talking about this to someone and they were kind of like, oh, I didn't hear that backstory. So y'all know that one of the huge fires that's happening out here is the result of a gender reveal party. Now longtime Loveline Love Line listeners know that I used to go on and on about how frustrated I am by these gender reveal parties because people have been seriously injured due to them, people have died, And now we have a a huge fire and this is not the first one as a result to a gender reveal party because for whatever reason, people love doing gender reveal parties with explosives. Stop. (laughs) You know, one of the biggest things us psychologists are pushing back and saying is that you don't know your child's gender. You can only say your child's sex based on the genitalia that you're looking at. So you can see... My child has a penis. My child has a vagina. That's all you can say. You can't say it's a boy or girl because we tell people what our gender is. Gender is not tied to our sex. Sex is based on our anatomy. The perception of what our anatomy is determines our sex, male or female. That is what they say. There's more than two sexes. We've talked about that. We'll talk about that again. Gender though is is how we identify. There's gender identity and gender expression. Gender identity is what gender do you feel? What gender are you? And we historically saw sex and gender as tied. If you have a penis, that makes you a boy out in the world. But that's not accurate. So you only know someone's gender by asking them. And they can tell you their gender identity. Their gender expression is how they express that out in the world, by what they wear, how they cut their hair, how they talk, how they walk, all the norms they participate in or don't participate in. So you can't even know someone's gender identity by looking at how they express it because some people can identify as non-binary. I'm not either gender, but yet they might express themselves in a look that is a gender. So someone could say, I identify as non-binary, But yet my gender presentation is very you know, female or traditionally male or whatever it is. So even that has a little bit of a nuance shift. So my point being, again, when you do a gender reveal party, it's like, okay, I guess, maybe, but your child isn't old enough to tell you yet, and so you don't know. It's kind of like when a child's born and you assume they're hetero. Okay, maybe, but it's very possible that they're not, that they're bi, pan, gay. You know, fluidity and creativity and diversity exists. And for the longest time, there wasn't a, a support for that or community. It wasn't seen as psychologically healthy. So people didn't identify in those ways. They weren't aware that those were options. So a lot of people live their lives suffering and in silence and in shame and guilt. Now there's community, there's support, there's laws. No thanks to Trump because he's been removing them. So again, register to vote, get that mofo out of office. But um And I love it. I love the diversity and creativity. It's more honest. It's more authentic. I mean, just think about it. You know people live on this planet and you really think they all fall into one of two categories? Nowhere else in our lives do we only have two categories. So I love the idea that we're pushing and we're pushing and we're pushing. But yeah, gender reveal parties have led to these horrible fires and they're also just not honest because again, you don't know your child's gender. Your child tells you. And so essentially you're just throwing a big party to say whether or not they have a penis or a vagina. And guess what? Nobody cares. And that's no one's business. So just give birth to your child. Let the world know you gave birth to a child. If they are obsessed and need to know the sex, feel free, I guess, to share that. Um, But, you know, again, it's not, I don't, I'm not a fan of gender. I think gender is quite toxic and has a lot of limitations. Other people's perspective is, We just want to give more, we want to give more expansive uh, concepts of gender. And so what what we're all basically saying just with different entry points of different wording is let your child figure out who they are. Give them a multitude of toys. Let them choose what they want. Don't assume because my son is a, you know, a penis that I'm going to inherently just throw sports things around him because that doesn't even make sense, right? Everyone with a penis loves baseball. Come on. Uh, so you give them a multitude of toys, things that are musically oriented, maybe artistically oriented, athletically oriented, maybe fashion oriented. Like whatever kids want to play with. If if your son has a penis and he wants a kitchen set, let him have a kitchen set. You know what I mean? But it's these confines, right? So the gender reveal parties just aren't psychologically honest. They're not socially honest. The world's bigger and exists outside of that. And it can really confine. And that leads to some psychological struggles. And if we just kind of said, you know, I... I put my quote unquote daughter in all sorts of colors, not just pink only in a room's not only pink. Sometimes she's wear, wears green. Sometimes it's blue. You can make someone who's born with a vagina. You can give them a blue room. You're not going to psychologically damage them because they have to wear pink. And I've shared this with you before. I laugh when people say, Oh my daughter's such a girl. She loves pink. Well, that's weird because that's not genetic. We are not genetically driven towards colors you socialize them towards those colors you put those colors in front of them so they're familiar and move towards them also 100 years ago girls wore blue it was and boys wore pink and red because it was seen as more royal pink and red so boys wore girl colors and girls were put in blue so those colors are very arbitrary and socially chosen and we socialize our kids towards those things in micro macro ways and so um open up and let go a little bit you know it's all about truth um all right so that's the gender piece y'all we need we need to do better about that. And hopefully get these fires under wraps soon. Uh, coming up next though, suicide prevention and then question of the night. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris from the new channel Q and radio.com. All right. So again, it is National Suicide Prevention Month. Oh, So all week we're going to be talking about different elements of suicide prevention. So I want to just start by saying this, <clears throat> that the way we prevent suicide other mental health struggles and issues, addiction, relational problems, self-esteem is by creating a safe world, a healthy world, making the world a safe place for people to exist, period. You know, there are so, we, we as a culture, we, we want conformity. We want everyone to look and act the same. We're obsessed with it. You know, and as adolescents, all we want to do is look like everyone else and fit in desperately and we don't train children or even adults to learn how to accommodate difference and diversity. We finally are. But very few of us meet the standards that are set for us based on whatever it is, our race, our gender, our sexual orientation. And that leads to a lot of marginalization. The world isn't safe for people that are fat or larger bodied. The world is still not safe for people that are trans or gender diverse. The world is not safe for people that are gay or bi. You know, the world is not safe for couples that are open or poly. The world is not safe for people of certain races. The world is not safe for women that express their sexuality. And these are this is a lot of the world we're talking about, and part of mental health again, is about feeling as though you have worth and value and that there's a space for you in our culture. but we we love pathologizing all these different diverse ways of being. A lot of the mental health diagnoses are just shaming pathologizing in themselves, and I don't subscribe to them because they're just about conformity and assimilation and they don't really honor all the different ways that people can be and the beauty and strengths you know any Mental health disorder, we talk about there is some strength and beauty in it. Everything has a, some positives and negatives, um, truly. And I've written a lot about that in my books, Sex Outside the Lines. Specifically, my first book talks a lot about neurodiversity and neuroqueerness. And that's basically just saying that there's no right way for your brain to have to function or exist. Brains are quite diverse, just like gender and sexual orientation and body shapes and sizes. Our brains, some move fast, some move slow, some are louder, some are quieter. That's not being broken or disordered, that's difference, but we all, we want everyone to operate at the same speed in the same way. And so we start to set up these diagnoses based on statistical norms and decided that anyone who's outside of those norms, that that means there's something wrong with them. We need to fix them, but that's where beauty and strength often lies. So part of destigmatizing these mental health issues is normalizing diverse creative ways of being in the world and not slapping pathology-based labels on anyone who operates a little differently. Powerful experience. I, I might have shared this on the show, but when I was a child, we were at the beach. We had a beach house on the East Coast. Gosh, and we were sitting around the beach and there was this woman coming out of the water and she was pretty much fully clothed. Uh, She was wearing like shorts and a long shirt. And I remember a lot of people staring and making jokes. And my mom turned to me and she said, it looks like that woman's having a lot of fun. You know, I'm glad she went into the water and however she needs to do it is her business. And it was a really powerful moment looking around, noticing that people just weren't able or willing to tolerate or allow this person to do things their way, things that are a little different. You know, God forbid not everyone feel comfortable or safe wearing a bathing suit in our body-shaming culture, in our cis-obsessed culture. You know, due to different gender variations and body shapes and sizes and all of our beauty norms, it's understandable that not everyone feels comfortable being exposed or seen in public. It's not safe. But bigger than that, she was mocked for just being different. I remember when I was a child and I loved wearing a lot of black, Clothing wise, I got so much bullying and taunting. And it was like, why is the world so hung up on the color of the fabrics I'm wearing? Why is the world hung up on this woman being more clothed while swimming? Like we need to let people be. And these are the the parts of the foundations that lead to people wanting to die by suicide because the world isn't a safe place for them to be themselves. They are expectations upon them because you're a man, so you need to operate this way. And then you're a father, so as a father, you need to operate this way. And whatever your profession is, we need to see you this way. And we just move people away from truth and authenticity with every new label we add to them, right? You're hetero. So there's these expectations on you. And all of these things move you away from who you really are and what's going to make you feel seen, valuable, and successful in the world. And that's not part of mental health. Remember, mental health is about liberation. It's about authenticity. It's about feeling valid based on who we are. And we don't don't honor that. And the problem is, is we talk a lot about dealing with it, raising your, you got to just work on your self-esteem. You got to just be more resilient, but that victim blames. Why does that person need to develop self-esteem to tolerate how crappy the world is or how poorly the world treats them, right? Why does he need to learn to be resilient to, to be, you know, to function at a higher level? No, we need to look at what is causing the low self-esteem. We need to look at the systems, institutions, and norms that are making everyone's life difficult and changing them versus saying you need to find a way to exist while not feeling valued. And so, yeah, a lot of the work is about changing the larger macro norms, expectations, and systems so that people can just live their lives happily, right? And so we're going to talk more about this tomorrow and like I said, the rest of the week, but just For the rest of the day, if nothing else, just notice all the pressures that are on you to operate a certain way, a certain way that's maybe not even honest to what you'd want to do, what you enjoy, or who you really are. And then imagine the amplification of some of those issues for others who maybe have more diverse and creative-based identities, right? And what must it be like for them to try to exist in a world where they don't and they don't need to, but they're told they have to that that's part of it. That's that empathy building piece. So start with that. And then tomorrow we're going to talk more about how we can actively start to dismantle all those pieces, uh, coming up not, next, excuse me, question of the night. So still some time to wait in on that. That's on our love line page in the stories. And then we're going to be sliding into those DMS. Listen to love line with Dr. Chris on the new channel, Q and radio.com. All right. Time for question of the night. Okay, picture this. You get to travel back to December 31st, 2019 at 11.59 p.m. You get to warn yourself about what's going to happen in 2020. What do you tell yourself? That's the question of the night. What do you tell yourself about all that's to come? I've seen some funny memes and stories about this. I don't think you could script this because like I said earlier in the show, it just keeps getting more colorful and colorful. (laughs) Just when you thought we've had enough for this year, it keeps growing. So question of the night is, again, if you could go back through time, <laughs> good old December of last year, 1159, what do you tell yourself about what's to come? First person said, the civil rights movement of our time is about to happen, and you need to support black people extra, abolish racist systems. I I mean, beautifully said, I, yeah, t- about time, right? And did not know that that was going to be how this year was going to go, and what a I, I love being a part of this moment. This is history in the making. Oh, man, I was so proud and so touched and moved to see how many people were coming out to support Black Lives and the continuation of that support and the really big changes watching mayors and governors you know, take money away from policing and putting them into social services and resources and really getting at the root cause of a lot of the problems as opposed to just policing the understandable outcomes of people that are struggling with those root causes, right? So we're actually trying to create the needed foundational shift so that people can thrive and get their needs met and do better as opposed to policing and punishing those that are struggling and doing their best. So I'm all here for that. Um Yeah. Someone else said, make the best of the time you have with friends. Oh man, I know. That's dark though. <laughs> you know what I mean? Going back and warning yourself, the year's about to get really rough. So enjoy, enjoy it, enjoy everything you got. Access to the world and those around you because that's gonna be taken away. God bless it. I wouldn't have believed it, even if someone had said it. I really wouldn't have. Um quite stunning of a year. Again, question tonight night is, uh, if you could go back to December 31, 2019, 1159 and warn yourself about the coming year, what would you say? Excuse me, someone said, focus on discovering new hobbies and a new therapist. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so there was something personal in there about the new therapist. Uh, new hobbies. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what was most interesting to me during this time is new forms of self-care and new hobbies that have emerged for people that had not been there or considered prior because you know we're we're a little more basic, right what what this pandemic has done is kind of brought us back to just focusing on getting our basic needs met and more simplicity in in our joy and what we do with our time. and I love that. It's just more honest and I hope that we stay with some of that i I've loved in many ways working from home and I hope to continue with some of that and to just engage my work differently. I've jokingly said, I want to continue to wear sweatpants. Part of me is serious about that. I'm moving. I haven't gotten through this year. I want my life to be more centered in joy and pleasure and relaxation and I, and I no longer want to stuff myself in uncomfortable clothing to perform professionalism or to be taken seriously. I'm going to center my comfort, and I'll, you know, I've been wearing baseball caps while doing therapy and sweatpants, and I'll probably continue to just be very casual in the rest of my life. Not overthink things, not participate in professionalism or fashion or whatever it is, because none of that's real. And just be comfortable. You know what I mean? Like just really getting back to truth. Question of the night again was: What would you tell yourself last year about the coming year? Someone said, don't believe him when he says he wants to have a serious relationship with you. Dump him in all caps. All right. (laughs) I'm sorry that happened. (laughs) I hope you handled that. And I hope you came out of that as unscathed as possible. God bless. Um, Excuse me again. Question is, what would you tell yourself last year about the coming year? Someone said, leave the relationship sooner. Wow. (laughs) Y'all had a rough relational year. I'm really sorry to hear that. I didn't expect that. I thought all the answers were going to be quarantine and pandemic related, but like y'all took it seriously. So I'm thankful for that. But look, I want to say something in, in service of those that are making these relational comments. I want to talk to the person on the other end of it. Listen, when you start dating someone, talking to someone, sleeping with someone, hooking up with someone, whatever these words are, you you have a responsibility to them. They're a person. They might not be your boyfriend, girl, girlfriend, husband or wife or whatever the heck. But have some love and care. If if it's no longer working for you, tell them. If your needs aren't getting met, change it. Like be better for people. Don't be the kind of person that leaves people worse off where they're writing in talking like this. You know, you you wounded people. Be better. Come on. Someone else said um Start saving your money so when the virus hits, you can work from home in the Bahamas. I know. (laughs) I love that. Someone else said, buy hand sanitizer and toilet paper now. Trust me. (laughs) Imagine that sticky note. You know what I mean? Would you really have trusted it? Maybe. You would have been like, I'm not really sure what that's going to mean, but yikes. Uh, Especially the toilet paper part. And someone else said, uh, stay longer out of bars and order more drinks. She won't be doing that for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I needed that laugh. Thanks y'all. All All right. Thanks to those that, excuse me. Thank you to those that participated coming up next. DMS listening to love line with Dr. Chris on the new channel, Q and radio.com. All right, we're back now. It's time to slide into those DMS sliding into the DMS. Sliding the DMS is brought to you by our friends at Trojan condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore it with confidence. Sorry, y'all, this poor air quality is really affecting my, <clears throat> my lungs and my breathing. It's really, uh, it's quite sad. I feel bad for those that have to be outdoors. It's gnarly. I mean, if the heat wave wasn't bad enough, all this junk in the air. All right, sorry though, DMs. Dr. Chris. Um, wait, let's actually go this one. Let's just, sorry, I'm kind of changing the order. Hey, Dr. Chris, I've had some horrible luck with dating in NOLA. Most guys ghost or don't call after the first date or are just not interested in a real relationship. It's to the point that it makes me feel like I'm the only monogamous gay left in New Orleans. What are helpful ways to not feel defeated after three years of this crap? <laughs> oh, man, I feel that pain in your in your question. A few things, you know, before I address you and your needs, again, I want to give a little bit of a pep talk to those that are out there, dating you and others, um, stop ghosting people, my God. Listen, y'all, if you are not willing to send a text letting someone know where you're at, you are not mature enough or ready to take the responsibility of entering someone's life. Part of dating is being willing to let people down when you're not interested. It is not okay to just disappear and go silent. If you are not interested in seeing someone anymore, send them a text. Yes, you can just text them whatever you need to do to get it done. Hey, listen, I know this is going to be hard to hear. It's been really fun getting to know you, but the chemistry's not there. Take care, all the best. Bam, like at least. And if you are not willing to do that, you are not mature enough to take the responsibility of entering the dating world where you have to be responsible for other people because you hurt people. And if you're moving through your dating life, this is a loving assessment I'm putting out there. If you are moving through the dating world, harming people, ghosting them, not being honest with them, cheating on them. Take a pause, please, because dating shouldn't be wounding. If we were better, we could all feel better about dating. And people would be more honest about what they want and what they need and where they are. And we wouldn't be guessing and we wouldn't be hurt. And we can try things. And if it doesn't work, we lovingly part ways and move on. And people don't have to send questions like this feeling bad. So we need to collectively do better. Don't support your friends in just disappearing. Tell them no. You send that text message and you tell them that you are no longer interested. I will not let you just disappear on people. So I'm telling you all, do better now as far as someone not being interested after the first date that's kind of what a first date's about is assessing whether or not i want a second date and so that's just them being healthy if the chemistry compatibility is not there i don't want them setting up a second date with you and would you i mean do you want a second date with someone who after the first date realize they're not interested because again we covered the ghosting part i'd love for them to just say hey man it was great to meet you but like i'm not interested but I don't want them to continue to date you because once they went on a first date, they have to just keep going. If it's not there, it's not there, you know, and that's where your work is. If if you're not ready to be told it's not working and if you're not ready to go on a first date and maybe not have a second date, then you need to maybe take a little break from dating because dating is about exploring and seeing if we want more. And a first date doesn't promise a second date. Second date doesn't promise a third date. Each date's just saying I'm interested in this one. I'll see how it goes and that will determine whether or not I want another one and maybe not. We have to be open to that, right? So that's just part of it. Dating is often being disappointed and disappointing people, you know? It's just part of how it goes. Um, And that's the thing is, listen, matching compatibility and chemistry between two people is a very complex thing, and it takes time. And I'm sorry to hear that's been three years, but... For some people, it's going to take five or six years to find another person where the chemistry and compatibility is there for both people. That is a very complex, nuanced thing. It shouldn't come easily. If someone said to me, yeah, every other day, I'm meeting someone else that I could be in a long-term relationship with. Chemistry and compatibility is there with so many people. I'd really uh, challenge and question that, you know? So it just means you're in it. You're in it. Keep going, man. It's a numbers game. You got to put the time and the numbers in. I'm really sorry to hear it's taken that long, but it takes time takes time. Some people, it takes decades. Some people don't get into committed long-term relationships till their 30s, 40s, or 50s. It takes decades. They just haven't been in the same place at the same time to meet someone with the needed chemistry and compatibility. It takes time. So all I can say is I'm sorry that people are horrible around the ghosting. I hope they get better around that. But outside of that, got to put the time in. So I hope you're on the apps. And again, if you want relationship, be open to every level of engaging people. Um, be open to Casual sex. Casual sex is one way that people do meet, assess compatibility and chemistry and lead to long-term loving, committed monogamous relationships. So don't put down any entry point. Um, Be willing to participate in dates and sex and always starting at a different entry point and kind of broadening the way that you can maybe match and meet up with someone, you know? Um, All right. That is our show. We'll be back tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Pacific. 10 p.m eastern and as always old love line episodes are podcasted over at wearechannelq.com see y'all tomorrow night thanks for hanging out with me and y'all have a beautiful rest of your night